You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning. I want you to take a minute. So I've been reading the creation story again. Uh, And what I see this time around is God delighting in his own creation. He creates, he looks at it, and he's just delighted in it. And then in Colossians chapter 1, he says that I still look down at my creation and delight in it. So I want everybody to take about 10 seconds, and I want you to look at all your brothers and sisters that are created in God's image. Look at the flowers that he, he put out here for us. Look at the blue sky he created for us, and just sit there in delight in the same thing that the creator of the universe is delighting in right now. So join with your creator and just look around and delight. Delight in the celebration of a wedding. God looked down on you and delighted in it yesterday, right? So it's just been about 10 seconds looking around and delighting in what God has done. Are you amazed? Do you ever just take a minute out of each day and just look there and go, wow, my God delights in what I'm looking at, so I will delight in it also. Today we're having our, our panel discussion. We do this uh, oh, about once a series, sometimes twice a series, depending on how long the series is, and we do it because, again, our mission is to disciple. And so we want to give examples of what it looks like to sit up here and, and disciple. So I've asked three uh, of our sisters in Christ to be part of the panel discussion today. I'll let them introduce themselves in a minute. I want to set some expectations. They don't know this. I failed in, in our going back and forth and kind of leading them where I wanted to go. I didn't tell them because I didn't want to give them any worries. But we are going to discuss a topic that the church has struggled with since Pentecost, since the Holy Spirit came in. Most of Paul's letters are addressing the very topic we're going to talk about today. And so our series in The Promise has been looking at the Old Testament, mainly Exodus, and looking how every part of Exodus fulfills the promise of Jesus Christ. And today we're looking at the Ten Commandments and overall the law. And what does does God expect when he gave the Ten Commandments? What does it say about our God? What does it say about us? And then we're going to move into the New Testament and look at what, what does it mean to us? What's it mean to the church? What's it mean to those who are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone? And are we called, what are we called to do with this great truth that the creator of the universe gave us? So this is really, honestly, to do it correctly, is probably a two or three month uh, service, series. We're going to do about 30 minutes. So if you hear something and you're not quite sure about it, or if you hear something and you're going, well, that doesn't really match up, come talk to me afterwards because we seriously can't address this topic and what we're going to do. So we're going to hit on some high points. So I'm going to let the ladies introduce themselves, and then we're going to get started. Beautiful girls that keep me very busy. Um, 
my name is Shannon Cook, and my husband is Mark Cook, and I have three little girls, um, and I homeschool them, and um, yeah, it's just a blessing to be able to raise my girls at home and spend as much time with them as possible. My husband and I lead an action sports mission organization, and um, yeah, we've been about a part of this church for um, almost five years now. Hello. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm Kara Judy. Uh, Franz is my hubby. He's back there. Our little are Gavin and Ember. And yeah, uh, we've been going here since 2016, part of the FMCC family. And um, I'm excited yet nervous to be up here with you guys this morning. <laughs> Excellent. It's good to be nervous when we're in God's word. Keeps us focused. Uh, I'm going to ask Kara to read the passage today. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Amen. Thank you. The first question I got for you guys, as you've looked at this over the last week, what do you, what do these commandments tell you about your God? He doesn't mess around. Pardon me? He doesn't mess around. He doesn't mess around. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. He's serious, isn't he? He's serious, yeah. He's the God of, he's the same God as he is now, right? But um, I think that it was time for these people understand what they needed to do. Um, they were becoming, they were going from being a family to now a nation. And I think uh, it was pretty evident that God um, 
wanted to protect them ultimately, right? Without his protection. But um, he's he's a jealous God. If that's what I get out of this. Like, and that is a good thing. Um, but I can't imagine being the people listening and actually, you know, when the, the stage is set and the mountain and the fire and the clouds and how terrifying that would have been. Yeah, so that comes on the hill of grumbling right after God pardoned, well, grumbling after God freedom and grumbling after he parted and grumbling after he gave him manna and grumbling and grumbling and now God speaks, right? No, I like that. Very good. Shannon. Yeah, he really expects us to glorify him. Like that's the whole purpose of our life is to honor and glorify God. And so as you can like see in the first half of the commandments, it's all about honoring and glorifying God. Everything is is vertical. It's all to like bless our relationship with God. Um, and that's going to benefit us when we are glorifying God. And then the second half is really horizontal in our relationships with other people and how if we do these things, it's not, you know, just so that we're being good and we're keeping this set of rules, but it's actually going to bless our relationships with other people. He wants us to have a good relationship with those around us and with himself. Very good. Kara. Um, I second those things, um, but I also um, feel like he's kind of showing us how through like the actions that are would be a result of our heart condition, if that makes sense. I feel like a lot of the time when God is speaking, when Jesus is speaking, um, there are practical things like don't have other gods before me. But what is that getting at? That's getting at the condition of your heart. Like, what are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? Um, making those graven images. What are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? Um, and so when our heart is full of the love of God as evidenced by these things too, then it'll overflow, like Shannon said, into our relationships with other people where we care for them. We don't covet what they have because we have everything that we need in Christ and in God. Um, so, yeah. So I heard our God is a serious God, right? That's, that's who he is. I heard he's a jealous God. I heard that the first part of the commandments is vertical, and, and that's the first ones. He, he doesn't start with the second ones about his creation. He starts about himself first, right, and, and what he expects. I like that. And then Kara wraps it up with he's looking at our hearts. And, and one of the next books and what we call the law, the first five books, he talks about what you really need is a circumcision of your heart, right? That's, your problem is a heart problem, right? So from the very beginning, that's the way it is. So I asked you a question uh, earlier this week is, why did God in his sovereignty decide to give these commandments in a written form at this point in the wilderness to these people? Why didn't he give them to Abraham? Or why didn't he give them to Joseph? Or why didn't he give them to Jacob? Or why didn't he give them to Isaac? Or did he? Did he give them to him? So I thought this was really cool because I hadn't really thought about this before, but God gave Abraham his promise of all the blessings he would do through him and through his line um, for his people and for their land. And that promise was going to be fulfilled through Jesus. And so if he had given these commandments at that time, it would have looked like we received the promise and all the blessings through a law. But the promise was given 450 years before he had even 
given these laws. So we know that the laws aren't going to all of a sudden take away the promise that he already gave us because God keeps his promise. So they had to come after to show that it's really through faith in Jesus. It's not through a set of rules. Right. Good. Anybody else? That's good. So Genesis, so we look at, did God change or did he just, you know, reveal more in, in redemptive history? In Genesis chapter 26, because I love what you said, Shannon, he says this to Abraham, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and I will give you your offspring all the lands. There's a promise, right? And your offspring of all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So somewhere during God's relationship with Abraham, he laid out exactly who he is, right? Well, who he is, what's, what he expects. But the big difference, and you nailed it, the big difference with Abraham was the promise he made, right? And that promise we see when you read Galatians, right, was this promise was fulfilled in Christ. And because God made a promise 450 years before Moses, God says, the law never, ever altered my promise to Abraham. It's a continuation of it, right? He's showing us, he's revealing more and more of who he is. Very good. Uh, Jacob, and uh, God says to Jacob in Genesis 35, you will have no gods and you will have no idols. I am the only God. Very good. Um, we see the Sabbath clearly in the seven days. And in Genesis chapter 4, we see God confronting Cain before Cain murders his brother. And what he says, he goes, you know what to do, right? You know the things you are to do. You, and and so, he's, so we see, we see the, we see the, the thought of God and who he is, but it's Israel that he does it. And I, you guys got it. It's the right time because Joseph, the famine, they, Joseph saves him, right? They go into slavery for 400 years. They come out what? The nation, God's people, right? And so then you see a perfect time to say, from now on, you will be the representations of me on the earth, and here's how you interact. Very good. Any other comments on that? I think the when you brought up this question, um, the order in which things happen, I think, is critical to our faith um, in Christ. I think if you switched them, you'd almost have a, you'd have a different religion because it would be works based. You know, salvation being works based. So the fact that he has, and I feel like this is just what God does. Like he calls us out, and because of how he calls us, we're able to live differently you know like from the beginning god called out the creation that we see that you were you know encouraging us to marvel at and we became or it became what he called it same here like he has called them out of slavery and has said this is this is who you are to be not because you've done these things already or you've checked these boxes but because i've called you out and i am love and my love will be in you and this is you know this is how i'm calling you to live sort of a thing um, and he's the one that kind of gives that command, and then he's the one that then also enables it. So it's just a beautiful thing that um, I feel like for, for me and how I grew up, it was very much a checklist. Like, these are the things you need to do for God to love you. When in fact, <laughs> it's these are the things that we do because he loves us. And because he loves us, we can do those things by exactly. the power of the Spirit and, you know, those sorts of things. So I think... The order, um, I love the question because I think when it happened is really important. And I've never really taken the time to 
dig into that. So mm-hmm. thanks for that. You're welcome. <laughs> it was interesting, a little bunny trail when I was went back studying the creation. Um, there's something that hit me this time around because I'm looking at the Hebrew a lot closer. And, you know, he, 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 he lets light come in the first day. That's not the sun. It's some other light, right? And then when he gets to creating the stars in the Hebrew, it's almost an afterthought to him, right? I've created all this. Oh, I'll create stars, right? And so just the displaying of his glory and who he is and what we see drives us to understand that. And Isaiah, he talks about idolism, right? He, he tells him, okay, if your idols are so great, see if you can stand them up all by themselves. And if they're so great, why do you nail them to the table? And then he says to, to the, to the, uh, through Isaiah, he goes, if your idols are so good, can they tell you what's going to happen 200 years from now or 300 years from now or 1,000 years from now? So they, he lays out all these things that if you're going to have an idol, there's only one person you can compare it to, and that's me. And guess what? They can't compare, and because they can't compare, you got to take a nail and you got to nail them to the table to make them stand up. I've always loved that part of Isaiah. What, uh, next question. So how did the Israelites do with these commandments? How well did they perfect them? The rest of the Old Testament is kind of a testimony of they didn't do so well, right? Yeah. Um, why? Why couldn't they do it? They didn't have the spirit in them. Um, they were working things out in their flesh. They were doing it in their own strength as best as they could. But without the Holy Spirit living in you, you don't have the power to be able to, to do that. Exactly. So if there's one virtue that you have to have to do the first ones and the second ones, what is that one virtue that they were lacking that they just simply couldn't do it. Because that's what we're going to look at in the New Testament. There's one thing that, that God tells us that you have to have to be able to accomplish all these. And you hit it on the head, Shannon. We simply do not have it in and of ourselves. We fake it. We actually fake it pretty good in society. Uh, and we'll get to that. And sometimes even in the church where we shouldn't lack it, that will be the topic of the fruit sitting on the table. Um, and that one virtue that is God-given, it's one, it's love. So it's really what we see in the Old Testament from the giving of the law. And we actually saw that clear back to Genesis, right? Why did Cain kill his brother? He hated him, right? Why did Abraham, why did God have to set out the commandments to Abraham? Because he said, he knew at the end of the day where his heart was going to be. What about Jacob and Esau, right? All the way through, we see that God continues to pour out his love to them, but reciprocating back was not only difficult, we're going to find out in the New Testament, it was impossible for one really big reason, and we'll get to that. Any other comments on that? Thinking back 3,500 years, 4,000 years, you're sitting there listening to that, and you hear these, and there's that fear, but then the next day comes, and... You know, it's kind of all over, and you start thinking about these commandments. Put yourself back in that time. You've seen that, you hear, you have that fear. A week later, you're still running the commandments through your mind. Tell me what you're thinking. I know what I think now. I have the spirit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would be thinking, I can't do this. 
this is impossible. Um, I, I need a savior, right? Like, I need more than an example of what to do. Um, I need a savior. Um, so yeah, I think it would just be this constant striving and try, trying um, that could never actually be accomplished. Excellent. Good. And that striving may have started in love, but over the course of history, it turned into merit, right? I'm just doing this to try to gain favor, right? I'm working hard. God, you got to look at me. We say that today, right? And uh, most of us in our unsaved state, as God was drawing us to him, we all said, I'm not that bad. I'm trying really, really hard, right? Give me credit for that, right? And fully understanding that, that same thing, right? Anybody else have any comments? I'd also be exhausted. Be very exhausting. Exactly. That's why we call it perseverance of the faith, right? Because we all know that we're, we're going to step into the New Testament. We're going to look at what is expected of us, right? There's a law of Christ that Christ fully expects us to be able to accomplish, right? There's this faith working through love. And sometimes with the Spirit in us, that's exhausting, right? Think about when you're trying to fake it. Exactly. Anything, anybody else? The other thing that's interesting, so they, I think you hit, I love what you said there, Lauren, is because they couldn't, they said, I just can't accomplish it, they could have done two things, but they only did one. They could have said, um, I'm going to try to live this way, right? There's, there's only these, so I'm going to try to do that. So what did they do? They added more and more and more and more and more rules, right? And all they did was segregate the people. The haves and the have-nots. Well, that's what Paul says. I was above all Hebrews, right? I, I was perfect under the law. I, I kept the Sabbath the way you're supposed to keep the Sabbath. So they looked at those laws, and they added to the Sabbath law to try to kind of ease it. Uh, there's an old writing one time that they were struggling on, uh, you know, not working on the Sabbath, and they go, well, God can't make us do something that he himself wouldn't do. And if he upholds all the universe then he still must be working or the universe would collapse. And, and they came up and, and to help themselves out with, well, if God's doing that, then there's some work we can do. And one of the rules they made was you can, you can work on the Sabbath as long as the effort you exert, you don't have to pick it up over your shoulder. So anything I do that I have to put, pick up over my shoulder, I could do. And they reason with that because God is so big, he put all the universe on his hip, and he could just hold all the universe on his hip. And that's how they rationalized it, right? So you see what they did with the law. They twisted and turned it to allow them to be righteous in their own minds that we can do this, right? Don't need a Savior. Don't need anybody else. We'll just, God was kind of unclear. God was ambiguous, so we'll just add to it, right? And he, into what you're saying, he really wasn't ambiguous, right? That is what sinful man does. He adds to the word of God and then twists and turns it and justifies it. And then he feels really good. And then when he's confronted either on this side or that side, it's a shock to him. Good. Anything else in the Old Testament? Anything else from the text that just struck you as you guys studied? Good. So let's jump in the New Testament. So I'm, uh, I want to tell you how very proud I am of my three sisters. Uh, just so they could kind of understand where we were going, I asked them 
uh, as we, after we went through the 17 verses, I said, I want you to read chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and the first three verses of chapter 6 in the book of Galatians, so you get a taste and a feel for the argument. And again, I also didn't tell them that we are going to discuss probably um, the thing that has torn the body of Christ apart forever, what we saw in Galatians, right? Who's bewitched you, right? Um, and it's still there today is what do we do with the law, right? What do we do as believers? And so I didn't want to tell you guys that earlier um, because it's heavy, right? This is a heavy, heavy subject. Most of Paul's writings address this one argument. What do you do with the law? Do you have to keep it 100%? Is it all for you? What did Christ really do with it? So we look at, I want to read two texts, and then I'm, and I'm going to ask you just a few questions, and we'll jump into some other texts. Matthew chapter 22 says this. The question was, you know, what do I have to do? What commandments do I have to do? And Jesus said to him, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is a great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all all the law, and the prophets. So what Jesus says is on this, what I just said, on loving God with all your heart, all your mind, and your soul, and others of yourself depends all the Old Testament, the whole thing, right? Then in Romans 7, Paul's arguing about, you know, if you keep the law, you're under the law, and you have to complete all the law. And he says in chapter 7, just before chapter 7, 2, he talks about marriage, right? And then he says this, Likewise, my brother, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, all the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in a new way of the what? Of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So Paul and Jesus agree 100% that there's a law that you can live this side of the cross for one reason only. And Shannon, you hit on it early. What's the one thing? I was, uh, yesterday I was sitting talking and I, I text Bill and, um, and Ben. I said, you know, I'm walking through this with you, I find it really amazing. We're going into one of the most celebrated seasons in Christianity, right? We celebrate the birth of Christ. And we do that very well, right? And we celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ. So the birth of Christ ushers in the gospel. The death of Christ solidifies the gospel. And guess what we forget and we hardly ever celebrate it? Pentecost. How many of you have actually celebrated a Pentecostal Sunday? We simply don't do it. That was the incoming of the Holy Spirit upon the church. And the Holy Spirit, from what we're finding, is what grows and sustains the church. I can love you like this for one reason only, because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. Without that, I can't do it. I'm totally incapable, right? Um, so the question I asked them the other day to kind of prepare themselves, because it was a long text, 
out of all those, what are the two big things that really struck you, really fell on you anew? Or, or maybe you just never realized it in, in Galatians 3. And I went to Galatians 3 because it's such a beautiful struggle of, if, if you're going to live in the law, then guess what? You need, to live, you need to be perfect in the law. That's what the law was sustained. Nobody ever lived it perfectly except Jesus, right? And then he says, if that's the, that's the slavery you want to do, then do it. And then he starts to add the things on, you're free from that, and here's how you're free from it. So who wants to go first? I can go. Um, yeah, there were so many good things in Galatians in referring back to the law. Um, but I think what really, really struck me that was so cool is just how if it says in um, Galatians 3.13, um, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And just realizing that if it's a curse to be under the law, why would we want to be under a curse anymore? Why would we want to be enslaved to something? If Christ has given us grace, then every time we go back to trying it on our own and trying to do these things and and work on this law, we're basically rejecting this grace that we've been giving and we're choosing to go back into slavery, which is obviously not what any of us wants. We want to be free. Um, and so just um, kind of in, in part two is just realizing that the law is actually under us we're, it's not over us anymore. And so out of that, we can just produce the fruit with the law under us. So first the spirit is in us. And because of the spirit being in us, then we're able to do these things that all the law God talked about in the law, but it's not vice versa where the law is first and we're doing these things. And then we're following the spirit. It's the law is just coming out of us. It's it's underneath us. And so it's coming out because of the power that the Spirit has given us. And so, um, yeah, I think those were, were the main things that just really struck me was that why would I want to give up the grace that God has given me and go back into slavery? And then just realizing that we do have the law, but that it's under us. It's not over us anymore. I love the text that hit you. So we have a promise-keeping God. In 450 years before he gave the law, he gave the promise to Abraham, right? And what kind of God could we trust if he made this promise to Abraham? Out of you, Abraham, will come a single seed that all the nations of the world will be blessed on, as many as the stars and skies and the sand on the thing. What kind of God would he be 450 years later and said, ah, forget the promise to Abraham, I was wrong, right? So now you got to live this way and you got to live it perfectly. What Paul does is he looks at all of redemptive history, right? Paul takes, let there be light, and comes right up to writing to the Galatians and says, this is all history, and I know my God, and he made this promise to Abraham. He kept it in Jesus Christ, and so I have to look at the law differently, right, on this side of the cross, and Paul, being an expert in the law, says, oh, I know how to do that. I've, I got new revelation. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. I, I've got it all figured out now. The law, the promise was all, the promise of faith was always what God wanted, right? And through Christ and through the fruit of the Spirit, that faith will come that was promised to 
Abraham 450 years ago. And what's beautiful, if you just sit there like you did and say, wow, 450 years ago, he made a promise to a guy that worshiped the sun, right? And he kept it and fulfilled it in his son. And I can trust him now. I can trust him to sit outside on a warm day and sustain me and delight in it because of that. Excellent. I love how you found. Who wants to go next? So it's, it's kind of similar to what Shannon was talking about. Mine is also from the third chapter of Galatians. Um, and just the idea of, let's start in 23. It says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. And I really liked that. Like that stuck with me in kind of putting the law in its place, so to speak, <laughs> um, it being a guardian. So kind of guarding us um, from ourselves until Christ came with um, the gift of grace and faith. And then in his completion of the work on the cross, um, the gift of the spirit. So I think that for me just kind of really put the law into perspective. Um, it's not something to ignore. It's not something that's just cast off um, because it's part of the history that God created and it's important um, in so much as it served as a guardian and what that shows us about who God is, who we are, what's coming, um, those sorts of things until, you know, the work of Christ on the cross. So I really, the image of um, the law as our guardian was something that stuck out to me. Excellent. Good. Yeah, that's a, if nobody's ever studied that, um, years ago, Kathy and I, I taught a Bible study of a about six of us, and we spent a long time really fascinated on this whole idea that the law was a guardian, right, as we went through it. Remember Paul says in Romans, he goes, so by no, you know, so is the law bad? By no means it's not bad. Why? Because if the law didn't tell me not to covet, then I would covet, and I would not, I would not know it was a sin. The beauty of the law shows me what, what, what Lauren said so well, is what my God expects, right? What Our God is so holy Covetness can't come into his being, right? Murder can't come into his being. Envy can't come into his presence. And so Paul actually says, no, 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 no. You know, you're, you're hearing me wrong about what I just said about the law. The law is amazing because without the law, I don't know I need God. And if I don't know I don't need God, I don't know I need Jesus, right? And so Paul says, oh, by no means, the law is amazing, right? Your turn, Lord. Yeah, I love that. Um, just real quick, what you just said, Romans 7, 7, says, yes, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Right. Um, that's what the law does for me um, personally. It reminds me of my humanity. It reminds me, it humbles me. Um, it reminds me that I need a savior. Um, what stuck out mostly to me um, was a lot of exactly what they said. I won't repeat a lot of that because that really did stick out to me. Um, but mostly it was the freedom. Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Do not submit again to the, to the yoke of slavery. Um, it was just a reminder this week for me um, that I'm not halfway free. I'm not 75% free. Like I am 100% free. That's why Christ came. And I, I hear a lot of times, and I think this is so hard in our world today, because we have a really hard time of absolutes, right? Like, what's true for me doesn't mean it's true for you. You know, we're like so afraid. 
it's in verse 5, um, when Paul's saying, um, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Um, it's offensive, and I, I think we forget that. Um, I know for me, I, I, you know, I have some people in my life, you know, they'll, they'll make the comment of, well, my more Christian friends, or my more, like, you're, that's not a thing. Like, you are either dead or you're alive, right? Right? Um, you're not a little bit free. You're either free or you're a slave. Um, and so... Or you're a free slave. Or you're a free slave. Yes. Yeah. I love it because earlier in Paul, early in Romans, Paul will make this argument that you were a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to Christ, right? And so we, in that slavery, though, it's a different type of slavery. Right? And Paul goes on to unpack that further on. I love what you said um, in that one, that one, read that the text you did because it, it totally went up. Uh, the one you just read before in Galatians, I think, oh. in Freedom. Yes, uh, for freedom, Christ has set us yes. free. Um, yeah, that's Galatians 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Exactly. So remember who's coming into the Galatians. And we do that today. We don't we don't come in there with circumcision today or living under this law, but we come in with, with legalism. You have to do this. Um, all three of you are totally dressed wrong today. You should have been wearing a long dress and your hair up and things, right? That type of legalism. All you guys out here in shorts, you should have wore coat and ties, right? Little things like that. But that's exactly what the Israelites, especially the Pharisees, had done to the law. They added these other little things on them, right? And he says, so that if you're, if, if you're, you're free and it's an offense to the cross, it's because you're saying the cross wasn't enough and, and you got to do more. And Paul says, well, if I'm preaching circumcision, then why are you mad at me, right? Because I'm doing exactly what you said. What was offending was it's the cross or nothing. The author of Hebrews says, if you walk away from the cross, there's nothing that can bring you back, right? That, that's how God looked at it. So the next question is, did the God of Exodus 20, God the Father, expect a human to live the law perfectly. Think hard. Did he expect a human to? Yes. Get, but, but what did he have to do? Um, say it louder, please. Please. He had to come. He had to come, right? He had to leave eternity, right? This eternal relation of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, perfect love that he's going to give to us He's going to give to us through the Holy Spirit the same love that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always had. And Christ said, because I love you, Father, I will go do this. And God the Father says in John 3, 16, I foresaw, for I so love the world, I gave you. I gave a gift to humanity of my Son. And I, he's left here and he's become human to do one thing. According to Jesus, he says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Goes back to what he had told us in, in Matthew 22, right? I have not come to abolish, but I have, but abolish them, but to fulfill them. The author of Hebrew picks up on this. He says, by a single offering, Jesus has perfected, not just once. He has perfected for all time those 
who are being sanctified. He didn't say for those who are sanctified, right? He said for those who are being sanctified. And the sanctification is why you and I can love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and others as ourselves. God doesn't expect you to perfectly do it the first day you're saved, right? That's what church is. That's why you have to get into community. That's why discipling is important. But he does say the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And so work out your faith with what? With love. And we're going to read, we're going to finish up on Galatians 6, where he says that you're able to live the law of Christ. And we're going to discuss what the law of Christ is. Any other comments before we move there? So a holy God demands that if I made these commandments, you have to do them. And, and then he says, but I, I know you won't because the foundations of the world, I've already decided how I'm going to glorify myself in doing it. I'm going to send my son and he's going to do it for you. So when he looks at all of us now, he looks at Ben perfected, right? holy, righteous, like Ben actually lived out all those in a perfect life. Why? Because he looks at Ben as he looks at his son. Any other comment? Let's go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, brothers, we're in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, so you have to be spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of meanness, <laughs> grouchiness, grumbling. It's not what it says, right? He says you are to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Where's that gentleness come from? It's the Holy Spirit, exactly. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be detemptants. Bear with one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. He just called us to fulfill a law. And that law we saw in Matthew 22. And love the word order. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And everyone is yourself. You got to do the first before you do the second. I've, I've uh, two people I love dearly because I've known them all my life. <laughs> I won't give them names, but I've known them all my life. Y'all can deduct it. Years ago, there were some things going on in, on emails. It was going back and forth. And, well, I try to live the golden rule, the golden rule, the golden rule. And, and I asked them, I go, so what's the golden rule? Well, love others as yourself. I go, I said, you know, guys, I am so tired of that verse being ripped out of context. You have no, I have no capability of loving you three unless I love my God with all my heart, all my mind, and my soul. So that takes us all the way back to the beginning, right? Exodus. Why did, he, why did he put him first? Because he is first, right? If I'm not God-centric, if I'm not Christ-centric, if he's not my all in all, if he's not the person I love better than I love my wife and my grandkids, guess what? I can't love Kathy like he's asked me to love her, right? If I put anything above him, my nation, my children, you, the church he's asked us, Bill and I to shepherd, guess what? We won't, we won't love you well right? Because we're actually saying, ah, there's a little bit of me that can get this done. And God says, ah, no, there isn't, <laughs> right? Excellent. Thoughts on that? 
Any final thoughts? I'm going to kind of close this up. I'll give you a, a chance to final on this last thing, but I'm going to close it up on the, on the fruit of the Spirit and try to fix maybe some misunderstandings on it. Any other things that got you guys in this study? I was just going to comment again on um, just how the order, like Sarah mentioned, and it's just all throughout Scripture. Uh, order is not only important, but it's, it's vital. Like the order that you're talking about, Tim, like I can't. I cannot love anyone else, my husband, my kids, my parents, my, my neighbor, even people that are really easy to love. Like, I can't do that well um, until I love the Lord my God. Um, it's just such an overflow, um, and it's every single time I try to do it out of that order, it fails. Um, because I do try to do it out of that order sometimes. I, I am not a great wife or mom. When I am not filled with the Holy Spirit, when Amen. I am not spending time um, in the Word and just being reminded that the order is important, um, and that just even going back to the Ten Commandments, like He didn't say, "If you keep the law, then I will have a relationship with you. Then you can have a relationship with me." He said, "But because I'm giving a relationship with you, like your response is to keep the law." Um, and it's just this whole shift in our mindset of, like for me, it's, it's worship. For me to keep the law, it's worship. And if I'm compelled and propelled to keep the law because of what Christ has done for me. It's just this whole shift. And I think it's so easy when we do not understand that first and foremost, the order of, number one, even of the gospel, what Christ did for us. Like, this won't make any sense. Like the, the Ten Commandments won't make sense. They'll look like, it will look like legalism. They will look like a set of rules. I grew up in a legalistic culture as well, even in my church. Um, but it's just so important. So, like, I just want to encourage someone. If, if you look at this and you're like, oh, that looks hard. Well, yeah, it's hard. It's impossible to do without Christ. Um, but it is for our good. It's for our protection. Just like, for me and my my kids, when I'm telling them to do something, it's because I love you. It may not seem fun or what you want to do, but it's because I love you that I'm telling you and I'm showing you how to live. So how sweet of the Lord to say, like, now I'm going to show you how to live in rich relationship with me and with others. He didn't have to do that. Mm-mm. He could have just left them to themselves, left us to ourselves. But he didn't because of his love. And so it's just that not that shift in our mindset to see how he loved us so much that he saw fit to help us know how to live. And even to go further, to know how to live and then equip us and empower us to do that, right? He says, I'm not going to leave you. No, Jesus is, tells us in chapters 14, 15, 16 of John that it's a good thing I'm leaving, right? And, and, and the apostles go, no, it's not. And he goes, yeah, because if I don't leave, I can't tell the Father to send you the Holy Spirit that will be with you always. And the Holy Spirit is a good thing. And I know he's a good thing. Why? Because I have been with him from eternity, right? And, and so even, even with, we forget about that because we get the gospel and, and our sinfulness, we, we, God draws us in and he saves us in the overjoying of knowing that I have eternity. And then we kind of just, and we forget there's so much more. 
The gospel is not just our salvation. The gospel is our life. And not only that, he empowers it, right? He brings, and that's why, was, that's why the, this whole thing on really beginning to celebrate Pentecost becomes huge, right? Um, good, anything else? Yeah, I was just going to say um, what I have to just always remember is that the spirit is our seal of his approval. And so it's not anything that I'm going to do. Nothing I do can ever make him more approved of me or like me more. And just along with what Lauren was saying of growing up kind of in that culture of, you know, just not like the Ten Commandments and what they, not that strict, but just really feeling like if you do these things, God is going to be pleased with you. And he is going to, they wouldn't maybe say necessarily love you more, but that's kind of how you felt. And so when you truly realize like what you were talking about with Ben and when, when God sees him, he is a hundred percent pleased with him because he sees Jesus to remember that once we have his spirit in us, that is a hundred percent our approval to God and that I can't add anything to that. And if I try to, it's like, I'm trying to gain God's approval through my actions and that's always going to come short. And so for me, um, what's been so good and such a good reminder in these passages is that just his spirit, that's it. His spirit is, is our approval. Exactly. And that's one thing we saw all the way through Galatians three, four, five, and six, right? Paul makes these pretty good demands of us. And then he tells us how we can do it. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Have you forgot about that? And he makes some or more again, you do this through the spirit that Christ has provided for you, right? Excellent. Kara? Um, I would for sure just echo what Lauren and Shannon have said. I also, um, in terms of kind of what we were talking about with the law versus, you know, that debate um, in the John Piper sermon or explanation that you shared with us, I really love the way that he put it in saying that um, we're not under the law, but as part of new birth, the law is written on our heart. Right. Like that was just the most beautiful thing because it's, it's part of you because you're in Christ. Exactly. And empowered to do those things by the Spirit. Like, we don't make our heart beat, but as we are, you know, part of the family of God, as we are born again through the work of Christ, then that just becomes like our heartbeat. You know, as we're um, seeking the Lord and desiring to grow deeper in relationship with Him and to love Him more, um, that just becomes the outflow of how we live. He sets out how we live to honor him, to be in close relationship with him and others, like Lauren said, and then empowers us to do it, which is the coolest thing. <laughs> like, I just, it, it, it frustrates me that I know I lived for so long seeing it differently, seeing it incorrectly, um, and not taking advantage of the gift that God gave beyond, like, what he did and what Christ did on the cross, which was amazing, of course, um, but then saying, now I'm also giving you the ability to do what I've called you to do, like, just the beauty of knowing that, like, I don't, I can't, and I don't have to, and God is not asking me to work any of this in and of myself, like, he loves us so much that he said, I know you can't do it, and I'm going to make a way for you to do it, so thinking about that, which I don't do enough, like, moment by moment, like, you can't help but live from rest in him. And that's a, just a beautiful place to be in what he desires. And so I think just me reminding myself so often of this truth, more often than I do now, um, 
would make for so much more of a, a beautiful existence in relationship with him and in relationship with others. I think I too quickly forget. Like, I laugh at the Israelites as I'm reading, but I'm like, oh, it's me. <laughs> like, if I really think about it, it is. Because I can switch into kind of, like, strive mode um, and forget the beauty of what he's given me so that I don't have to do that. It's like, my daughter, you don't have to strive because I've done it all. You know? So, I don't know. Just a wonderful, wonderful reminder. Yeah, I love that picture. That so, I can... Uh... I can either live my Christianity and look at a list, right? And at night before I go to bed, I check them all off and say, oh, I've got nine out of 10. I'm not, I'm not that bad. Go to sleep. I sleep well. The next morning I go, well, I got eight out of 10. I got to work harder, right? Or the next day I go, like, well, I got 10 out of 10. Look, I did good. I can live that way, right? And it's going to be as exhausting as the other. Or I can sit there and, and just let the word of God saturate me what has been accomplished through his son for that freedom and saying, it's not a list he's asked me to do. It's a life, right? And it's a new life, and it's a life he gave to me to live this way. Love it. Um, you three, you're a delight. Um, I love what you came up with. Again, this has been an age-old struggle of the church when Paul was here, right? I mean, the Galatian church was maybe a couple decades. Um, and now look what it is. I want to finish up with one thing and, and one picture. And then we'll, we'll be finished. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul says, uh, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want to challenge um, all of us as we do this. Um, because I hear so often, I see it described so often, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got the fruit you know, the fruit of kindness I got, but I'm really struggling with the fruit of faith, right? Or I want to live out the fruits of the Spirit, right? Or you see descriptions of an apple tree and eight or ten, nine, nine fruits sitting up there, and each one of them described joy, peace, kindness, faith. Um, or you see it, well, here's the fruit of joy, and this is a pepper, and some will argue that, Tim, this is a vegetable, but I'm a biologist, and this is a fruit. Uh, this is the fruit of kindness, and the bananas this way, and all of them, I understand what they're doing. I understand what they're doing, but they're all wrong, and they all give us the wrong doctrine of the fruit of the Spirit, and it's dangerous because every one of you are equipped with all of them. It's Greek singular, the fruit of the Spirit. If we want to use a fruit analogy, the only fruit that really works well, well, there's maybe two. A pomegranate would work well, but I like citrus. Citrus works really well. This is one fruit. One fruit. What happens when I peel it? Still one fruit. Love. Joy. Peace faith, kindness, goodness, patience, all enclosed in you. You are God's workmanship. All of this is enclosed in each one of us. You already have it. If you are saved by Christ, it is already in you. From the minute God said, come follow me, to the minute you said, Thank you, God, for saving me. Guess what? All of this was already in you. 
That's the beauty of Pentecost. We forget that we are in love and we serve a triune God. Sometimes we just, the Holy Spirit is just this thing and when we forget sometimes that he's in us, he dwells in us and he empowers us and maybe we take it for granted. Maybe we sometimes we ought to just sit there and be much more at awe with it. So let's pray. Oh, Father, number one, oh, God, I delight in your daughters. Um, what a joy this last week has been to watch these three just uh, dig into you and delight in you and, and look at things that were hard. And uh, so thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for that. Lord, I look at, out upon uh, your daughters and sons out here, and you are delighting in them today. Lord, give me the same heart that I delight in them. Lord, let us be very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He's empowered us to love each other. He's empowered us to love you in all your fullness and all your holiness. So, Lord, let us rest in that. Again, we thank you for today. We thank you for, uh, for shade, uh, but we thank you for sunshine. We thank you for a field uh, of small, whitish, purplish flowers that you delighted in. Lord, let us delight in them. But above all, Lord, let us delight in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. Amen.